The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey everybody, happy Thursday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me today. And if you've been paying attention to the news the last couple of days, you know that there has been a lot of development news in the city of Detroit. Of course, uh, the city council gave approval to the Fiat Chrysler plant uh, that is going to be built on the east side. And also, yesterday, the Downtown Development Authority approved some new limits on the Illich family when it comes to their development of the district. Now also... There has been a little bit of controversy around both of these deals and and how they were put together and which people are actually coming out on top. And joining me to give us a little bit more perspective on everything that's going on is my friend John Gallagher from the Detroit Free Press, who covers development issues and, uh, uh, and frankly, uh, has been doing this for many, many years. John, welcome. It's always a pleasure. Thanks, Craig. Happy to be here again. Well, all right. So it was not necessarily a good day for, for the Illich family yesterday, and let's talk a little bit about that. After several months of trying, you finally get an opportunity to interview Chris Illich, who is operating the family empire at this point in time. Uh, and he was talking about the lack of development over by the district, the new arena. They, of course, showed us these pictures with you know, people walking the streets and sidewalk cafes and retail and residential. None of that has come to fruition yet. Uh, but I think he let slip something yesterday that is going to land him in a little bit of hot water, at least when it comes to public opinion, when he said, well, where else are people going to park? Uh, talk a little bit about this. It seems to me to be a bit of a tone-deaf statement at this point in time, given the amount of criticism they've already gotten over this project. Yeah, Craig, I think you're right. And, uh, you know, there, there's always this gap between promise and performance in economic development, but it's usually not quite so wide as it is here with the district. When, as you said, five years ago, Chris Illich laid out this very amazing vision of of people strolling along amid sidewalk cafes and you know, hundreds of new apartments and lively streetscapes and all this stuff. And none of it's happened. Um, two years ago, he, he announced six res- residential projects uh, for for uh, historic preservation and two new. None of those have broken ground. And instead, we have this, this expanse of parking lots up along Cass Avenue, uh, where the district was to have arisen. And, and uh, they're getting a huge amount of criticism. HBO did this blistering documentary uh, a couple of weeks ago. And there have been lots of uh, critics in print and online talking about promises that have gone unfulfilled. And what about it? So I've been trying to reach Christopher for quite a while, and he finally agreed to a brief interview, about 15-minute interview, yesterday. And one of his points was that, you know, in a city without a lot of public transportation and with uh, millions of people coming down throughout the year to the stadiums and arena and downtown— he said, where is everybody going to park? So we started defending um, the parking up there. Uh, but the problem is the parking looks nothing like what the district was promised to be. And it's left a lot of people pretty miffed. Well, pretty miffed. And, and a lot of people digging further back into the whole history of this project to begin with, how long they've been stockpiling land over in that arena in anticipation of, of getting this project off the ground. Uh, the deep dive that's been going on into this is, is bringing them continued negative attention. Uh, they refused to talk to HBO about it originally, which was probably a bad idea. And then yesterday they come out and they basically are reading from a prepared statement and arguing that a developer that they were going to partner with fell through. And so therefore they've been set back. But that's multiple years of setbacks. 
Yeah, I, I think it's an issue. Uh, I, I think over the years when Mike and Marion first moved here in the 80s and so on, and they built, uh, they renovated the Fox, they built Comerica Park and so on, it made a certain amount of sense that it would take a long time to do some of these major projects. Sure. But now that, now that they, you know, it's five years since they made the promises for the vision uh, for the district uh, and, uh, you know, other developed Bedrock, Roxbury, the platform and others are building stuff all around the district footprint. I, I think the idea that they can't do what they promised is worn thin for a lot of people. Well, exactly. When you look at, at uh, just what's happening directly across the street from the arena uh, with City Modern that's going in, e- even though that has been scaled back a little bit from its original uh, from its original vision, uh, they have got that going. They're selling. They're they're leasing these places. And to suggest that somehow the market is cooled to a point that it's not going to sell across the street, I. It, it rings hollow, and it makes people wonder whether or not the parking lots are what they envisioned all along. Yeah, and, and I think uh, uh, there was another one uh, a week or so ago where uh, the, their original deal was that they would get all this pub- public sus- subsidy to build the um, arena in exchange for promoting $200 million of new spinoff development near the arena. And the DDA, the City Downtown Development Authority, said, okay, they've met that threshold. Well, part of the way they've met the threshold is building two parking garages, yeah, uh, plus well, their own headquarters tower, which is not what people envisioned. Well, uh, and also somehow including the Google office space that is actually part of the arena itself into that $200 million, which you know was supposed to be on spinoff stuff around it. Yeah, I, Technically, they met the letter of the law. I've talked to a number of DDA folks about this, and they said they were sort of— they were sort of, uh, you know, stuck with the deal that was made during during uh, Kevin Orr's period here. Yeah, and I think you can you can blame whether you blame Kevin Orr or the city for not sort of um, anticipating what was what was going to happen. Uh, I think everybody's um, disappointed with the things that have not happened. Well, let's talk a little bit about what the DDA did yesterday, though, because the Illich family has come and said that they are finally going to start work on the Hotel Eddystone, which has been vacant for a long time, um, and the city actually got them to agree to a performance bond, which means if they don't meet, I think, what, 15 different criteria, uh, the city can take over the project and recoup the money and uh, and basically get it done. Right. So, right. And, and I, I talked to some DDA board members after the meeting yesterday, and they were pretty ecstatic that they were able to get this done because that's not something the city had really pushed before. Uh, does this give you a little hope that the city's oversight of this project is going to be stronger than it has been in the past? Well, I think that uh, it will be uh, somewhat stronger. The question is how much and uh, and also whether the Illich organization has um, uh, sort of taken something from the criticism that, hey, maybe we need to speed this up and actually deliver on some of these uh, some of this vision. So we'll have to see. Uh, it's true with the Eddystone. The city now has uh, these these timelines in place, pretty strict timelines where the Illiches have to do the Eddystone and meet a whole bunch of milestones along the way. And if they don't do it, the city can take over the, the performance bond and complete the project. Uh, it, I think it's a small step toward uh, holding the organization more accountable. Is there any indication that, frankly, the Illiches may have just bit off more than they could chew with this project? Because this is a huge, huge parcel of land that they have control over when it comes to the district. If you look at the footprint for all the stuff they're trying to do, it's actually larger than the Central Business District downtown. Well, it would not surprise me at all if, if uh, of the six residential projects uh, they announced two years ago, if only a couple were underway, or of the 50 blocks that they announced for the district that only 
maybe a dozen blocks were underway. But the fact that basically nothing has happened that they outline, that, that's the problem. I mean, every, everyone understands that development takes a long time and things are expensive. And then under the best of circumstances, you know, it takes longer than you think it's going to take. But, but the fact that it's been five years since the outline division and none of it's come about at all except parking, I think that's what nettles people. Well, absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, we're talking about the negative perception amongst the public about what they've been doing so far. I, I, I think this is now extending as well to the Fiat Chrysler deal, which we'll talk about in just a second. I want to remind folks, my guest right now is John Gallagher, of course, of the Detroit Free Press. We're talking about some significant development news that's come out of the city in the last few days. Uh, we were just mentioning the Hotel Eddystone, the project that the Illich family suggests they're going to take on, the city putting some teeth behind the agreement for the first time in a long time. Uh, let's talk about the Fiat Chrysler deal. Uh, you wrote an article a couple of days ago that I thought was very perceptive, uh, talking about the problem of assembling parcels in a city like Detroit for a project like this. In the old days, you want it? Okay, fine. You can force people out of their property using eminent domain. You can't do that anymore. Uh, the Michigan courts have obviously said that that is not legal. It's a very big property rights case that led to that uh, several years ago, back in the 90s. Um, Talk a bit about what the city had to do, uh, because they're getting a lot of criticism for the Maroons getting more land in southwest Detroit as a part of this. Right. Well, you know, this is an example of uh, sort of the promise and problems of these major economic development projects that, yeah, we bring 5,000 jobs to the city uh, if it it happens, which I presume it will now. Uh, But on the other hand, it's, it's a kind of process where... Uh, owners like uh, like the Maroon family and a bunch of others uh, can basically hold up the project um, in, unless the city agrees to, uh, you know, what some would say would be exorbitant payouts to sure. them. So the Maroons had a key piece of property, about 80 acres, that um, right there the Chrysler said they needed for the Jeep plant, and they weren't going to give it up easily. Um, it was a money-making operation for them. They leased it to Chrysler for about $3 million a year. So the city paid them about $45 million cash and uh, and gave them about 100 and some acres of land elsewhere in the city. Um, you know, pretty generous. They were the last ones. But, you know, DTE Energy, John Hance, uh, Tony Suave, um, speculator named Michael Kelly, a bunch mm-hmm. of other people got land, too. And, uh, you know, in the in, as you said, in the old days, when eminent domain could still be done for projects like this. You would simply take it and then argue about what it was worth. And you wouldn't have to give the Maroon family, say, land in southwest Detroit to benefit a project on the east side of Detroit. Um, And, you know, it was all done in a very rushed process. Uh, Chrysler gave the city 60 days to do the land swaps. And it just, the whole thing felt like it was rushed through and a lot of people were sort of uh, had kind of a sour taste about it all when you look at though at at who holds the cards in a situation like this now i mean chrysler fiat chrysler's talking about building a new plant to to put out a couple of new jeep models they could do that pretty much anywhere um is the city in a position really to negotiate these sorts of things well that's a good question and and i think um you know there's always the question that in economic development the promise of jobs trumps everything yeah everything and I think when you look at the, the states giving them something, $140, $50 million in tax incentives, uh, the city of Detroit spent $50 million bucks on land swaps and gave away, you know, hundreds of parcels. Um, some of the people in southwest Detroit where the maroon zone, you know, got some property or are worried about what that's going to mean there. And, of course, we have to see how many jobs actually go to Detroiters. Um, but, but this, again, is typical of these major projects where the promise of jobs— seems to ride over 
or override every other consideration. And so you get these kind of deals done in a rush where, you know, uh, owners, speculators get, get these payoffs and, and, you know, people wonder how is it going to really benefit them? I mean, land speculation is as old as the United States. Uh, you know, this right. is something that's been going on here since the very beginning. And, and you know, yeah, as distasteful as it might seem to people that you have somebody like the Maroon family or a guy like Michael Kelly getting more properties or swapping out properties that they have to get this done, uh, you know, without that eminent domain tool, there really is no other option. Uh, right. The fact that they were able to get this done, I thought was pretty remarkable. I thought that timeline was pretty strict Yeah, and, it, it, and was difficult to meet. Right. I agree. It, it, it was pretty amazing. You know, here's the thing about eminent domain. If, if you're a, a conservative property rights person, eminent domain to you means, you know, a small property owner is being muscled out by the overbearing government. But in a city like Detroit... Uh, often there are no people like that. It, it, the city's trying to assemble vacant land, abandoned land, empty buildings, blighted properties, or land owned by speculators. And it's the city almost that's the victim of not being able to use uh, eminent domain to put together these projects that would create a lot of new economic development, a, jo- a lot of jobs. So I think we really need to rethink some of the restrictions on, on eminent domain, at least for these major major projects that create thousands of new jobs. Well, and, and I mean, I think the speculation is out there, too, uh, just about the amount of tax credits that are going to these companies anyway. I mean, the city uh, has no choice but to come up with a deal like this. I, I think Tom Lawand himself said there were times he had to hold his nose when he was working on this deal. Um, but you've got to get it done. Uh, meanwhile, these companies are getting massive incentives. Are you convinced that the teeth that the city has in this deal are enough to guarantee that, again, Chrysler is going to live up to their word, Fiat Chrysler, excuse me, is going to live up to their word when it comes to, again, the hiring of Detroiters, at least getting them in line for the first look at these jobs. Well, I think that um, Fiat Chrysler will um, give the preference to, uh, you know, let people apply early in the process. The UAW members who are maybe on layoff get first crack of the jobs, and then, then the people in the district on the east side will get will be next in line, then Detroiters generally, then the general public. The question is how many actually get hired, um, and that we, don't, we won't know until, uh, until we're further along in the process probably next year. Everybody's looking at, at Wisconsin right now. Uh, the Foxconn deal right. as sort of the epitome of, of getting fleeced by by a corporate, uh, you know, demand, frankly, um, for for tax abatements, for infrastructure improvements, for everything. Do you get a sense in, in people that you're talking to here in the city and other developers around here that that you know, times are going to change when it comes to what these companies are able to exact out of these states and these government entities? Well, um, I'm afraid uh, not yet, because uh, to me, what's interesting is that all the academics who look at tax incentives say they, they're, they're not really needed because they really don't do any good. They don't tip the decision to actually locate somebody. <clears throat> so they're basically just a windfall to, to the company. And that may be Amazon, it may be Foxconn, maybe Fiat Chrysler, maybe anybody. <clears throat> but all the practitioners at, city, at the city level or at developers say, you got to be kidding. Of course we need these things. We can't do this project without this. So there's this huge gap in understanding whether or not tax incentives actually do any good. I think in this case, um, you know, as we saw with the Illiches, the city may impose a few more strictures. The Fiat Chrysler deal is a little tighter than previous deals have been. But I think the city is still more than willing to work with developers um, and hand out some pretty generous tax breaks. 
for the promise of new jobs. Are, are they in a position not to at this point? Because a lot of people look at what's happening downtown and just assume that you know things are going well enough that the city should be able to demand whatever they want because people want to come to Detroit. Therefore, you don't have to offer these things anymore. What What is the reality, though, when it comes to financing, when it comes to everything else that these developers need in order to make these projects work in this town? Yeah, good question. Well, I think that um, D- Detroit still has a ways to go before it's, you know, San Francisco or, yeah. or Chicago. Uh, even downtown, I, I say Detroit. Uh, no one mistakes downtown Detroit for all the good stuff that's happened for, you know, midtown Manhattan or anything like that. So I think that we have a ways to go yet. And it doesn't surprise me that developers would uh, still want to, you know, come in for tax breaks and the city would still be willing to give them as much assistance as as they can. But I think we also have to understand economic development is a whole in- industry. And in the industry, you basically trade the promise of jobs for a lot of tax breaks. And I think over time, people have questioned that that trade-off in many places, not just Detroit. And I think some of what we're seeing with the district, with the Fiat Chrysler deal, uh, with some of the things Dan Gilbert's getting to build his projects, I think people are starting to debate uh, whether this, you know, jobs for tax credits is really uh, the way we ought to go. I don't expect it to change anytime soon, but at least people are raising some interesting questions these days. Well, it certainly seems to me that uh, the district uh, and what has not been done when it comes to the original uh, vision for this is something that is going to skew the discussion nationally on stadium subsidies. This is something that's been debated time and time again, yet these teams can basically bully these communities into new stadiums all the time. Uh, That seems to be a tide that may be shifting. I, I could be wrong about that, but this one has the potential to disrupt that whole thing. Yeah, I think so. Although, you know, I mean, how many dozens of stadium deals do we need <laughs> before people say, well, maybe we shouldn't just give away the story? Well, there'll be another one 10 years from now. Yeah. Yeah, new one's obsolete, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've done three of these in Detroit so far, and uh, there's been dozens around the country where teams basically muscle what they want out of a community. So, um, but uh, the debate is growing the debate over tax credits is going, as I said, academics who study this stuff are almost unanimous that tax incentives don't really accomplish anything. It's mostly a windfall for for the developer. And so maybe, you know, maybe the development uh, debate will shift in years to come. I think that the, the passage of a community benefits agreement ordinance in Detroit where they have to negotiate community benefits so that Fiat Chrysler committed to certain things, job training funds and, and, and letting people in the in the immediate district get first crack at jobs after the UAW members. I think that's helpful. That's a sign that, that at least cities are building in some more enforcement mechanisms into these kinds of deals. I think that's helpful. Well, you know, I, I want to get your opinion on this real fast. And I mean, when you take a look at the overall Fiat Chrysler deal, and, we, you know, the district, they've got their own issues, and we'll see what happens with that, and the public will be on the Illiches uh, in a way that they won't be on Fiat Chrysler. Uh, I mean, Fiat Chrysler's planning on rolling vehicles off the line within a year, right. I mean, which is pretty amazing. But when you look at the way that that deal was put together, the fact that the city was able to assemble the land needed in the time allotted without displacing residents, right? how rare is that? Well, it's pretty rare. Um it's it it's far cry from pole town it is it's far cry from pole town now of course chrysler owns yeah chrysler owns most of the land they sure. need they already have the jefferson north plant there and they had the mac engine plant where the jeep plant will will rise so they had most of what they needed if they were starting from scratch uh like we did with pole town it wouldn't be possible it wouldn't be possible no uh, the fact that we had to throw in 200 acres 215 acres most of which was owned by about five people uh the maroons dt energy whatever whatever um made it 
doable within 60 days. But it's still a remarkable achievement to to achieve this. I think, from what we understand, the the city and the state have been privately working on this for about a year. But the land assembly process, to ram that through in 60 days, was pretty remarkable. You know, in, again, factories and jobs, <clears throat> something that no politician can resist, no community can resist. Uh, you know, is this the kind of catalyst for maybe some other types of development uh, in the city of Detroit? Is, is Detroit going to be able to reestablish itself as, as a manufacturing stronghold, or is, the, or is the land assembly issue going to stand in their way? Well, I think that uh, what Detroit has been sort of moving toward is a more um, tech-oriented, more entrepreneurial economy. Sure. With Quicken Loans and uh, companies like StockX and all the stuff coming out of Tech Town, I think we've been moving more in that direction, more toward a 21st century sort of uh, tech-based economy. And the fact that now our biggest project is a, is an auto plant uh, <laughs> for Jeep, which is one of the oldest uh, nameplates out there, uh, makes you wonder. Um, it, it's It's... I guess I think we're still in the in the um, ballpark of taking what we can get. And when somebody comes along and says, I'll bring 5,000 jobs in, I think the city's going to grab it, whether it's an auto plant or whether it's, you know, another mortgage company or something. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it right there. John Gallagher, again, of the Detroit Free Press. We appreciate your time, sir. Thank you very much. Anytime, Craig. Thank you. All right. And this is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Don't forget, tomorrow on the program, it is the week that was. I actually stole that name from somebody else. Uh, it's an old news show, but... Hey, that's okay. Uh, Nancy Derringer and Alan Lengel will be joining me for the program then, so I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great one. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Hey there, my name is Seth Ressler. Hi everyone, it's Becky Scarcello. I am new to the Detroit area. And I've been here my whole life. So we started a podcast together. It's called The D Brief. Detroit's arts and entertainment podcast. We cover concerts, comedy, plays, food, drink, all kinds of stuff. All the cool events around town, things to do, and the people that are doing them. Can we talk about some of the people we've had as guests on this podcast? Hey, this is Mark Kurliancic, the restaurant critic for the Detroit Free Press. Hi, I'm Andalisi, and I host Essential Music on 1019 WDET. Hi, this is Mark Ridley of Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Hey, this is Kate Williams, executive chef of Lady of the House. Hey, this is Meltdown from WRAF in Detroit. This is Josh Mallerman, author of Bird Box. This is Carmen Hart. Curator of film at the Detroit Institute of Arts. President and founder of Valentine Distilling Company. The general manager of innovation experiences for the Henry Ford. Arts and entertainment editor at the Detroit Free Press. The Michigan Science Center. Arts Beats and If you like going out in the city of Detroit, you're going to like this podcast. The Debrief Podcast. We like to say Detroit's moving. Keep up. The Debrief. Your guide to Detroit's arts and entertainment scene.